From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, August 27th. When the Moab community lost two local women last week, people who knew the couple, even just a little bit, described thinking about them all the time while feeling grief, anxiety, fear. Many people knew Kylan Schulte and Crystal Turner through their jobs at Moonflower and McDonald's, respectively. And every time I walk in, she always had this beautiful light about her. She had a beautiful smile. Like, she was, she was the type of person that she had nothing but love. And the last the couple weeks ago, I remember seeing them at, City Market, you know, they had so much love for each other. When I walked by them, that's all I saw was nothing but love. Comments from Janelle at Sunday's candlelight vigil for Kylan and Crystal. With the help of state and federal investigators, the Grand County Sheriff's Office is pursuing the case of their deaths as a double homicide and is actively looking for subjects. We don't know the motivation or the circumstances in their murders, but when two women are killed... Two women in the LGBTQ community, that means something. And those with intersecting identities may feel this loss even deeper. Today on the news, we speak with Abigail Taylor, the executive director of Seacaven Family Crisis and Resource Center. Seacaven often deals with rape culture as it shows up with domestic violence and sexual assault. Taylor offers tools the community can use right now to help towards healing. You know, I wanted to reach out to you because we collectively, I think the Moab community is feeling a lot of things. Um, it could be fear, it could be anxiety, it's sadness, it's grief, it's anger. And I'm curious if you also think that perhaps collectively, and I use this phrase with a little bit of trepidation, but if collectively you think that we could be experiencing some sort of community-level trauma. Definitely. Um, I think that a lot of people are very shaken from this experience, and people are feeling differently based off of their own identities or their own experiences or you know how involved they were with the individuals that we have lost in our community and, and again, how people might identify closely to them. Um, there's a lot of discussion about a, a hate crime or um, reasons why this has happened, and the uncertainty definitely creates additional fear. And I think that that, that fear can kind of cycle into further trauma mm-hmm. or, or re-triggering of past experiences. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Two women are killed and two women who are in the LGBTQ community are killed. Um, When something like that happens, it's almost like anyone with an intersecting identity is really adversely affected. Can can you talk about that? Yeah, folks from the LGBTQIA community are four times more likely than non-LGBTQIA people to be victims of a violent crime. And, and we see that you know trans individuals are, are actually trans women of color 
are the number one um, murder demographic in our nation. So these are statistics that people from this community are are facing. They know this. This is why suicide is so high in this community as well. Um, the amount of uh, discrimination and violence and abuse that these communities face is, is higher than the rest of us, the collective us. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's something that um, I think is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds from that community right now to say, in my own community, two people have been killed. We don't know why. Was it because of their sexual orientation, gender identity, whatever, um, that's that's terrifying. That's That makes their community feel unsafe, um, and it makes them have to process their own experiences of violence or abuse in a different way, or it re-triggers memories of, of experiences of, of violence or abuse. Um, yeah. The uncertainty, I think, is probably the hardest thing to deal with. And we see that with people that are escaping abusive relationships. The uncertainty of, you know, leaving a situation. Um, is this person going to come track me down? How am I going to survive without this partner? How am I going to make it on my own? Is really scary. Uncertainty is terrifying so so um and that's why we see a lot of people stay in relationships for such a long time um but yeah a lot of people are experiencing that now within our community did this actually happen with somebody targeted because of their uh sexual orientation their relationship how they loved somebody else um if so would that happen to me and that's that's really hard and scary and my heart goes out to the folks that are questioning that right now or have to question that. Mm. Someone provided a really great um, a definition on trauma which I think is really helpful for me to have read but also might be helpful for the community but trauma is not a disorder but a reaction to a kind of wound. It is a reaction to profoundly injurious events and situations in the real world and indeed to a world in which people are routinely wounded. Mm -hmm. Trauma is a concrete, physical, cognitive, affective, and spiritual response by individuals and communities. Mm -hmm. So again, when people have experience of discrimination or violence or abuse, situations like this, events like this, create, you know, poke at that wound again. And again, when people have to question, you know, their their own safety in their community, that that's a problem. Something's wrong there. Um, and finding out what happened will really make a big difference for these people that are not only grieving but also experiencing trauma and fear. I, you know, being in the community this past week, you know, regardless of anyone's identity, I know that I've heard people say how much they're thinking about this couple, about how much, you know, all the memories, even if they only knew them in passing, um, then that is coming up community-wide. Our staff actually collaborated on um, thoughts and ideas and feelings about this situation, and I'm ultimately so thankful that they did. I know that there's a lot of frustration and sadness and anger occurring within our staff because we we see a lot of these issues in our work but to see it happen in the community 
to such a level as this is is really heartbreaking um and it it can feel pretty defeating as well Mm -hmm. um we are all thinking of the family members that are experiencing such a great loss and the friends in the community as well yeah i just hope that everybody looks at what they can do moving forward i know that i am personally and I, I hope that the tools and opportunities that are available to our community members are considered and taken very seriously because everybody deserves to feel safe. So you know Sea Haven deals a lot um, with violence in our community, also with grief, but also with healing. Um, what are some tools that our community can draw on? We, we are huge advocates for counseling and working with mental health professionals um, just to have a, a safe person to connect with during this time is, is really important. Um, other things that can be helpful during a grieving process or, again, feeling um, an increased amount of fear is eating healthy, avoiding mind-altering substances or caffeine, awareness of the stages of grief, and, and giving yourself some credit that this is a very human response and it's totally acceptable to be affected and, and to experience these emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that can be very helpful is finding a way to honor their memory um, and recognizing that these two people were so incredibly kind and thoughtful and um, I guess finding a way to honor that and to replicate those meaningful contributions that they provided, you know, taking their life and honoring it in your own actions and day to day. That's great. Yeah, I hear I hear from community members, you know, almost like people don't want to give themselves permission to feel the way they're feeling because they're like, well, I didn't really know them that well. Why am I feeling this way? Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I, I mean, I totally connect with that uh, statement. I, I've personal experiences as well of just this amount of um, interest in, in my personal life and my family and my son and it was just so meaningful to have someone essentially show that they were rooting for me as an individual mm-hmm. um, and in those conversations Kylan oftentimes reflected other people that we knew and their successes and their news and things yeah. like that so I it, it's it's unique to have somebody like that in the community. And I, I, again, I hope that we can find a way to honor her and Crystal by replicating those actions and making that effort to make sure people feel welcome and cared for and, and appreciated. Abby, thank you so much. Are there other tools or solutions that you wanted to mention? I think it's important to consider community-wide efforts to either prevent these things from happening again or um, you know ways that each of us can educate ourselves to create a more a safer environment a safer community Um, and and some of those things we are trying to address with our prevention programming which is specifically targeted to reducing rape or just unhealthy relationships, but can also be applied to situations like this or discrimination or other other things that make people feel unsafe. 
and and right now we are we actually have a bystander intervention training that's being held at the Grand Center, and it, it's such a meaningful tool to use when you're around people that are experiencing discrimination or feel unsafe. Um, is is how can you step in? What can you provide? Um, I think learning about safety planning and and educating individuals in the community to safety plan with their friends and family, mm-hmm. um, whether they're leaving an unsafe relationship or they're feeling scared or threatened by somebody. Um, how can you bounce ideas off with them to to identify actions that can you know promote a, a safer environment for them? Um, what can you do? What can you offer to them? Um, I think can be really helpful. I think that we need to focus on creating safe spaces for LGBTQIA individuals, and um, I think allies need to step up and and state that they're allies and put the work into creating these safe spaces, um, addressing rape culture, addressing domestic violence. I think we all can learn, and there's so much room for improvement. I mean, even for myself, um, and even for this organization, there's there's a ways to go to truly understand the issues that the array of individuals in this community face. Um, and, and supporting those partnerships within the community, I think, can also be so important. Um, yeah. Some people are expressing concern that the housing crisis uh, attributed to um, these individuals being put into an unsafe situation and that's something that we reflect on a lot as we work with homeless individuals in the community um, which domestic violence is the leading cause for homelessness in women and children Mm -hmm. so when we um, intercept families or individuals that are living outside of their cars or living in a tent um, and their perpetrator or just some random individual that might come across them um, identifies them as being a vulnerable in- individual, you know, they are, they're incredibly unsafe and, that, and that's an issue. So addressing the housing crisis should be a priority to prevent things like this from happening as well. For listeners who might not know, um, Crystal and Kylan were camping. They they didn't live in a house. Um, they often camped or stayed in their vehicle. Um, so that's that's an incredibly important point. I mean, it, it's we we see so many people that are put into that situation, um, either because they're moving around a lot and working, um, you know, in different places throughout the the year, or yeah, they're leaving an unsafe situation or just trying to start over. Lots of people are in unsafe living conditions as they are trying to make those differences in their lives, but their options are incredibly um, restrictive. Uh, and, and many times it takes you know weeks or months to, to relocate into a safe place. Abby, thank you so much. This has been incredibly helpful. And if people are interested in receiving bystander intervention training, some of our staff members will be certified in providing that training, and we will have opportunities um, for the community to receive those um, skills to to intercept discrimination, violence, or, or threat in their workplaces, in their family, um, in the community. It could be in the grocery store. Um, mm-hmm. So learning these things 
is again something that everyone here in this community is welcome to participate in in order to make a safer community. Abigail Taylor, Executive Director of Seacaven Family Crisis and Resource Center, speaking on grief, loss, and healing. We'll have links to more information on their bystander intervention trainings in the show notes of today's news. And now, the weekly newsreel, where we highlight local stories with the reporters who covered them. Moab City's elected officials decided not to raise the property tax rate from zero this week. During Tuesday's meeting, council members and former staff alluded to a general discontent at City Hall. Doug McMurdo at the Times Independent says this could have colored their decision-making process on the property tax. It was uh, kind of... um an ugly situation, the whole property tax debate. Uh, when, once the rubber hit the road, so to speak, and, and we started having the, uh, uh, the truth and taxation hearing on August 4th, uh, the city council got an earful um, from the community, a, a broad cross-section of the community. Uh, obviously, uh, the people who owned the most property were, with the most to lose right. were the most vocal, but um, it was an across-the-board politically. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you covered as well as I did. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they just really got an earful of just how much they did not want to have a property tax imposed at this time. And in return, we've, we've come to learn that um, not everything is rosy at City Hall. Yeah, this is what I wanted to talk to you about, and I was hoping you would cover it. You know, in my radio report, I, you know, focused on hey, this is, the, this is the deal with the property tax. There's not going to be an increase this time around. And mainly the reason was because a lot of the council members felt that City Hall didn't adequately communicate what the revenue could be used for for our community. However, there is a lot of other things going on behind the scenes, it sounds like. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, it, it looks like there's uh, there's some palace intrigue, if you will. <laughs> okay. Um, we all know that uh, city manager Joel Linares was um, sent home for a month while they uh, reevaluated his uh, his job. Nobody has given us any input whatsoever, and they can remain silent because it's a personnel issue and mm-hmm. uh, it's a privacy issue. So uh, I think by, they are bound by law to remain silent, and I, I don't blame them. Right. But what happened was uh, there was a vote on whether or not he should come back uh, to work or he should lose his job. And that vote was split 3-2 with uh, Karen Guzman-Newton and uh, Ronnie Teresari voting against that. Mm-hmm. And um, since then, uh, um, especially Karen Guzman-Newton, um, she's been very upset. She does not feel uh, that that was the right course of action. Mm-hmm. And Ronnie, at Tuesday's meeting, announced uh, rather surprisingly that city attorney Lori Simonson was leaving, and she actually invited uh, Lori to say a few words. You know, city council meetings, there's an old joke in journalism, we don't need theater, we have city council. <laughs> and, um, and this is certainly true uh, with what's going on in Moab recently. But yeah. uh, Lori said that she, uh, she raised some concerns uh-huh. that were not uh, 
uh, adequately handled and so severe that she felt like she could no longer serve the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and she put in her notice. She's leaving. Uh, she was only hired uh, in November of 2019. So mm-hmm. just a very short tenure. She was the first attorney that the city hired uh, once it got rid of contract attorneys. Mm-hmm. The uh, former Moab Recreation and Aquatics Center right. uh, supervisor, Emily Sukinik, she also uh, accused the city of immoral and unethical favoritism. That's a quote. And she said it was because of friendships going on between administrators and managers and the rank-and-file employees. Mm -hmm. So that was really loaded. Uh, It was just public comment. She could have been talking about anything under the sun, but she certainly felt a need to make that. It's hard, you know, I'm curious about your perspective, Doug, because it's hard when it comes to personnel issues, like you mentioned, at City Hall, a lot of that is private. And that's information that is not publicly available to us, the media or anybody else. Um, But when people stand up there and make uh, somewhat loaded comments and accusations about the way City Hall is run, you know, what do you do with that information as a journalist? You give them an opportunity to respond. And I, I, to the mayor's credit, Emily, Emily Niehaus's credit, she did respond to my questions, but not really. You know, she did not, she did not give me any meaningful answers. I quoted her. I quoted what she said, and people can take from, from that what, she, what, what they want. And we started this conversation talking about the property tax issue, but I think we got into it because this is kind of the setting around that issue that right. at least is how presented at the city council meeting. A sort of unsettled feeling from some council members, some accusations from some council members about having a hard time with the way things are run, what that means, uh, you know, <laughs> people might be tight-lipped about it. They can. You know, yeah. I've never had to do so many grandma requests mm-hmm. for stories in my life. So whatever is happening behind closed doors and whatever um, is happening in front of those doors, either way, Moab City is not going to be instituting a property tax increase this year. Right. Boy, did we get off track on that one. <laughs> Um, it was a it was a four one vote. Mayor Pro Tem Tony Knutson Boyd made a motion, ultimately successful, uh, not to impose any property tax whatsoever uh, and leave it at zero. And that, like I said, that ultimately passed. Thanks, Doug. And briefly, um, the Times Independent has photos and a little bit of information about all of the 2021 candidates for mayor and city council. Yes, there are 47 of them. No, <laughs> Just kidding. There's not. Uh, you know, we, we always complain, how come nobody gets involved? Well, we can't say that this time because we mm-hmm. have six candidates for two council seats, and we have seven candidates for mayor. Mm. And uh, the mayoral candidates are in no particular order. Uh, Sherry Costanza, Kent Green, Norm Knapp, Aaron Davies, Joette Langanese, Stephen J. Stocks, and Bill Winfield. I think that's a pretty good candidate field right there. Mm -hmm. And then you've got for city council, Luke Wojciechowski, Mm -hmm. Randall Fox, Jason Taylor, Josie Kovash, Anthony Charles, Mike McCurdy. I, I know less about those folks than, uh, than I do um, most of the mayoral candidates. But um, any way you look at it, we're going to have a very different city council uh, in January because, mm-hmm. um, was, as we all know, the mayor is not going to run and um, neither are uh, Mike Duncan or Karen Guzman-Newton. So mm-hmm. we'll have two new council members and a new mayor. We gave them 100 words to put their uh, best foot forward. That's not very many words, but there's that- so many candidates we, we had to abbreviate it. 
that's a good that's a good uh, strategy, Doug. And uh, I'm sure there'll be more election coverage from the TI in the coming weeks. Yeah, and I, I would like readers to know and, and listeners to know that um, we're familiar with what this subject matter is in Moab City, so we're going to be asking the tough questions. And finally, Doug, let's go to the biggest news, I think, um, in Moab and some of the most tragic and saddest news. Um, the death of two Moab locals who were found killed uh, due to gunshot wounds in the LaSalle Mountains. Yeah, uh, um, this is a horrible story. Um, these kind of stories are horrible in the big cities. In a small town, the volume just goes way up. You right. know, it's just so much worse especially when um, two people that beloved, well-known. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to focus on Cindy Sue Hunter. Okay. She was Kylan's friend, uh, knew Kylan's father. And uh, at his request, and um, just because she's a friend, um, she's the one who went and found them. And she came into our office Thursday morning. Last Thursday. Last Thursday. Uh, that would have been August 19th. I just looked up from my desk because you could feel, you could sense the um, the stress that she was under. Right. You really could. And she just was stricken. And I originally thought that she was somebody coming in to pick up the paper to get some copies because of an obituary. Okay. Um, you know, she, she, she just had that look. But she started talking to uh, Carter, and I had Carter take her into... Um, our office where we interview people and uh, I could hear through the door um, just how emotional she was, um, how shook up she was. And mm-hmm. she came into uh, our office to tell us her story so she could put a, an end to the uh, quote crap going on on Facebook mm-hmm. and social media on what was going on. So many lies, so many uh, uh, horrible lies. I mean, like this situation wasn't terrible enough. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's pile on. And as the days went forward, more and more of that you mean happened. like people who are making things up or conjecturing just bad misinformation? Just really bad misinformation. I was compelled to um, write a, an opinion piece in today's paper on this case, uh, asking people to stop the lies and to just point out that we could all use a friend uh, like Cindy Hunter. I actually went out and I mean... Uh, she found what she didn't want to find. So she was compelled to, you know, kind of walk into the offices of the Times Independent because she wanted to tell her story in a way that wouldn't compromise the investigation. Right. And I, I hope they catch whoever did this. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be patient and, and let uh, the sheriff and the FBI and the, and the state investigators that are all involved in this case to do their job because uh, they really have their work cut out for them. I know the um, sheriff's office, along with their partners at the State Bureau of Investigation and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, held a press conference this week. And I think it's appropriate to, to just tell listeners if anybody has any relevant information, they can call the Grand County Sheriff's Office at 435 259 8115. Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. When Moab City's elected officials decided not to raise the property tax rate this year, they alluded that an increase could still come in the future. Allie Hartford of the Moab Sun News highlights this portion of the meeting. But first, some introductions. 
So I'm Allie Harford. I'm a new staff writer at the Moab Sun News. You know, we're going to get into a couple stories from the Moab Sun News this week and what readers and listeners can find in it. But tell us what you've been working on so far. You've been here for how long and what have you what have you been up to? Yeah, so I've mostly been here for a month um, and I'm covering city council and a lot of local mm-hmm. government stuff. And then I also cover a lot of events. Any impressions about our Moab community so far? Yes, so many. Um, I've never lived in a really small town before. Um, I've found it really refreshing that people are so passionate about local news and local government here. Mm -hmm. And I think that the things that, especially what the city council decides, like actually does have an impact on people. And I think people here know that. And so, I don't know, it's nice to be in a community where everyone does kind of know each other and generally people who I've spoken to are very kind. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because I have also thought that Moab is a little bit unique. People are very passionate about Mm. local issues and local Mm. government and I think um, our local citizens had a lot of influence in a decision recently. Property Mm. tax um, this is something that our listeners have heard um, before, but tell us tell us what happened this week. Yeah, so this week the council decided not to implement a property tax, um, and a lot of them kind of acknowledged that a property tax would be useful sometime mm-hmm. in Moab's future. They kind of um, touched on how our infrastructure projects mm-hmm. are kind of lagging behind, and they want to hire more police officers, and they also want to increase funds to like a general rainy day fund, mm-hmm. especially because they've kind of been saying that tourism dollars are not as stable of an income as I thought to rely on, especially coming out of the pandemic. And so while the council did acknowledge that a property tax will probably happen in sometime in Moab's future, I think they all also kind of realized that this year is just not the time for it. They've seen a huge outpouring from people who are super opposed um, to the tax. And I think it feels like that's what everyone's been talking about right. almost like the whole summer. And also, we're, we are coming out of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people don't have a ton of money. And a lot of people have been saying that they know some of their neighbors or other community members who wouldn't be able to afford the tax. And um, a lot of citizens and half of the council don't really think that the projects listed on the capital improvements project list mm-hmm. are actually, like, necessary. And so I think what's going to happen, they're all just going to kind of go back to the drawing board. And that's what some of the council members were talking about is that this probably will happen in the future, but it just needs better planning. Yeah. What about, were citizens making any comments during the meeting? Oh yeah. I mean, there was a truth and taxation meeting um, in early August where 25 people came. Mm -hmm. And then at the August 10th meeting, I think five people came and at the most recent meeting, like more than 10 people came Mm -hmm. and pretty much all of them were saying that they were opposed to the tax. Sure. And you said city council members will revisit this in the future. Anything else to mention from your coverage about, you know, what they're going to look into? Yeah, I think a lot of it is going to be looking into the capital improvements projects Mm -hmm. list. Council member Guzman Newton mentioned that one of the streets that she lives near is listed on that list, but she has no idea why. Yeah, I think they're going to just revisit their priorities Mm -hmm. in the future. And I think also that's going to be more of a conversation with community members instead of just kind of creating this list through the city and then presenting it. 
so you've been charged at the Modison News with doing um, some feature stories and some stories on events. So can you pick out a few of them that you think are worth mentioning? Yeah, definitely. So I think first the Moab Music Festival is coming back and mm-hmm. it'll run from August 30th to September 16th. Um, and that one's exciting because they get all of these like super amazing kind of like classical musicians to come and play and a lot of the concerts are outside within the landscape and they're also getting George Taikei to come and he's going to do a work with composer Kenji Bunch about his story growing up in a confinement camp. It's going to be like kind of a powerful work and I talked to the two founders and they're pretty excited to have this event in person again and also they do a lot of stuff with the local schools which I think a lot of people forget that the festival is also a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. and so they give back to the community a lot so that one's exciting that one is exciting and what other events did you put in there this week yeah so on August 31st there is an overdose awareness day event that's a collaboration between the Moab Regional Hospital and USARA, the Utah Support Advocates for Recovery Awareness. Mm. Um, And they're going to be having a dinner with a moment of silence for people who we've lost to overdose. Mm -hmm. And then they're also going to have a few people come up and tell their stories, including the mother of a teenager who died from overdose. Um, And then they're also going to be doing a little bit of training on how to recognize a fentanyl overdose. Interesting. And how to use Narcan, which is this drug that can reverse the effects of an opioid overdose. Mm. Um, And so I think that that's something that's becoming really important just throughout the whole U.S. We're facing this huge opioid crisis, and I think the West, especially recently, has been facing more Mm. of an opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. So that is Tuesday, August 31st. That's really important information. I mean, fentanyl, it's so dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I think Moab Regional Hospital and USARA and the health department are doing what they can to kind of elevate awareness Mm -hmm. of this issue. And it sounds like this event is is part of that. Yeah. And then finally, there's another event that you wrote about in the most and news that's keeping you busy. Um, (laughs) Sea Caven. What is going on with Sea Caven and uh, their youth programs? Yeah. So also on Tuesday, August 31st, uh, Sea Caven is having their youth carnival, um, which is an effort for them to kind of start up their youth programming again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the youth council um, that they're trying to pull together mm-hmm. will be kind of almost like a club um, for mm-hmm. youth to talk about sexual relationships as a teen mm-hmm. because in Utah, the state law requires teaching abstinence, which um, Olivia Holmes, who is the youth coordinator over mm-hmm. at Sea Caven, said that it isn't really a reality for a lot of people. Yeah. And so um, it is really important to provide this space where teens like can talk about it and can learn um from people who kind of know what they're talking about and it's just going to be a safe space Mm -hmm. um but the youth carnival will have games and free food and more information about this youth council that they're creating Allie hartford staff writer at the moab sun news subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com And that's it for the weekly news reel, where we highlight local stories with the reporters who covered them. Find the stories mentioned today in the show notes of our news at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU.
community-powered radio. 